right, are you ready to study the Scripture? Get your Bibles out and a journal, a piece of paper, a pen, and let's continue our series on the book of Luke. As you know, we began this at Christmas time, and we began to talk about uh, the story of Christmas that's in the beginning of Luke, and then we just have continued to study this really wonderful account of Jesus and his story. And so uh, we're here at Luke chapter 8, and so turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read a story of Jesus from this chapter, and it's really, uh, I think, a powerful story, and, and really the, the, the backdrop of, of what Luke has been telling us. Luke, the writer of this book, he's been describing who Jesus really is. Everything that he's writing has been in an attempt to help mostly Gentiles, people who were not Jewish, who were not part of God's people, but people who were trying to figure out what is this Jesus person all about? What is this movement that has begun? This movement, all these people called Christians, what, what, what is this really about? And he's trying to articulate, he's trying to tell these stories, he's trying to make people ask the question, who is this man and who is this man to me? And who, what, what do I believe about God? And so he's writing these stories and, and they're, incredible, they're incredible stories about Jesus' power, about his authority. And so we get here to chapter 8 and, and Luke begins to to tell the story of the parable of the sower. Uh, we had really a wonderful Wonderful message on this just a few weeks ago with uh, Britt Hancock, who's a missionary to, to Mexico and, and, and has, is training missionaries. You heard him, most of you heard him speak. Fantastic message. If you did not hear that message, it's worth going back and listening to on the podcast. And so, um, so we're not going to talk about that story today. Jesus begins to talk about who he is and what he's come for, that the light that he is bringing should be placed for everyone to see. You see that in verse 16. Then Jesus' mother and brothers, this is a great story where Jesus' mother and brothers, you've you got to see the scene. Jesus' ministry is, is so huge. People are coming from everywhere. Crowds are pressing into little, little homes and little villages. And, and you, you, you see this this picture of all these people trying to get to Jesus, and one day his mother and his brothers come to try to see him, and they can't get an appointment. Because there's so many people, they can't get in, and so somebody comes in, somebody makes it in, and, and, and he, 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 they say to him, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are outside. And you know what he responds to them with? It's, it's so fascinating. He says, who are my mother and my brothers but those who do the will of God, those who obey the words of God? And what he's saying is sort of in its own way revolutionary because family, there was nothing more important than your family, especially in this, in this time period. And he's saying there's, there's something that I'm bringing that's so much more worthy of your connecting to. You're, you, you, there's something, there's an, a, a kingdom that I'm ushering in that is so worthy of your time and attention, so worthy of all that you have to give, and it connects you to God's family. And, he, and, and it's not an excuse to disregard your own family. Indeed, we're all supposed to be, make sure that our families are taken care of, 
but there is something that is priority over our families. And it is this, uh, uh, these ideas that God is bringing through the work of Christ. And then, of course, we have the story of Jesus calming the storm. If, if you look at, if you look at uh, Luke 8, verse 1, I just want to read the first three verses. And, uh, and I, I want it, it sort of sets the stage for what's happening uh, down in verse 26. So let's pray before we read this passage, and, and then let's, let's share together. Father, would you illuminate the Scripture? Would you open them up? Would you show us who you are? what you're trying to do in us, and what you're indeed trying to do in the city of Austin, where we live. That we live in the era of your kingdom that, is, that has come and is coming. And show us how to perpetuate that kingdom, how to usher it in as well. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. I think this is just an important place to pause and to see the kind of person that Jesus was, that he was traveling from town to town and, and, and sharing the message of the kingdom. And the 12 disciples were with him, and then there were some other people as well. And Luke highlights women more than any of the other gospel writers, more than Matthew, Mark, and John. And he highlights the involvement of, of women in the ministry. And it's just important here to pause and just say, you know, Jesus was always challenging the cultural barriers and boundaries of his day. He was always challenging the discriminatory practices of the people of his day. Uh, any kind of prejudice, he, he, was, he was sort of pushing, poking a hole in it. Here, here is Jesus, and he, these, these women are traveling with him, and it's interesting to think about Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons have been cast out. She was really overwhelmed by wickedness, by darkness. And, and this little passage says that she was delivered. This was a practice that Jesus was engaged in and that his ministry engaged in. And so he was healing diseases, and he was casting out demons and evil spirits. And so we get to verse 26, and we begin this story of the healing of a demon-possessed man. And, and this, is a, this is a fantastic story where Jesus arrives in a, in a new territory, and then he casts all these demons out of a guy. And then they, he casts them out and throws them into the pigs, and the pigs run off of the cliff. And that's the story we're going to read today. I've entitled it, The Demons Who Loved Bacon. <laughs> the Demons Who Loved Bacon. Bacon is an interesting thing. Uh, bacon makes almost everything better. I don't know if you have discovered that. But it's really bad for you. There is no situation where bacon is really good for you. 
So here we are. Jesus is going to do this, this crazy miracle, and I want us to learn some lessons from this miracle story. All right, Verse 26, it says, They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Now, just pause for a second. The Gerasenes, there are a couple of other words that some of the other Bible writers use. Some use the Gadarenes. Some would use the Gergesenes. And so there, there is a bit of maybe um, just lack of clarity about exactly where this place was. But we know that Jesus was going across the Sea of Galilee. He was going away from the area of the Galilee, which would have been northern and eastern, the north and eastern part of the Sea of Galilee. And he's going to, most likely, the southern and eastern part of the Sea of Galilee. And it's, 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 it's a, a bit of a journey. It, you'd, have to, you'd have to intentionally go there. And, and he's, he's going into a place that hasn't necessarily heard the message of the kingdom that he's been preaching. And, and most would say, most Bible teachers would say, this is an area that there, there's, there's something called the ten towns or the ten cities. In Greek, maybe in your Bible, in your translation, it's known as the Decapolis. The Decapolis. And so he's going and he's, and he's establishing something here. It, it's clear that Jesus was... His purpose and his reason for coming was to go to different places and share the kingdom. So they go across the Sea of Galilee. Here they are. They come. They land on the shore. Verse 27, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. Well, welcome to our town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes. So he's naked. He had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, don't torture me. Often we just read it with our inside voices. And we don't quite get what was happening. Um, as, you, as you see the, the rest of the description, here it is. He's, he's crying out to Jesus on his arrival. And he's saying, don't torture me. Uh, verse 29 says, For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man, and many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. And Jesus asked, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. He, they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. So here's this large, freakishly strong man, evidently, who's naked, who's been living among the tombs, uh, which is where the dead people are. Uh, there, there would have been a sense of, uh, of, of, of this guy's crazy. They stepped ashore, and then a process ensues right there on the shore. Something begins to happen as they deal with this man, and Jesus begins to cast these demons out of him, and there's a question and answer process that starts going on here. He says, what's your name? Now, now 
Legion is, it, it, it's interesting to just note, legion is something that indicates there are many. It, it might indicate a whole battle division of demons. A whole battle division of demons. It, legion in the Roman world would have, would have indicated an idea that meant a company of thousands of soldiers. So in the Roman world, that's how it would have, that's how it would have sounded. Jesus is engaging here in a spiritual battle. In a way, he's meeting. He's at, he's at the tip of the spear, if you will. And, and, and going to a new territory and beginning to establish his kingdom. And the first guy he meets is this guy that's got a whole bunch of demons who drive him to do crazy things. And he torments the town and they've tried, think about this, they've tried to chain him up over and over again to no avail. And so in a way, this guy has dominated the culture of the, whatever towns he's been associated with there. And these towns wouldn't have been very large. But there's this, there's this process going on here on the shore. And it's, it, it's interesting to know that Jesus is obviously in charge of the demons. Jesus is obviously in charge of the demons, right? He's, he's the one asking the questions. He's the one who's directing the process. And so his, can you imagine his disciples? They, they, they've, been, they've been watching Jesus do awesome stuff, right? Really cool things. But here they are on this boat. They get out onto the shore, and here is this guy running and screaming at Jesus. What do you want with me, Jesus? <laughs> this guy uh, was not working for the city convention center. Um, so... So the disciples got big eyes and they're watching this process and they're begging him not to, not to send them into the abyss, which, I, you know, it's unclear what this might mean. Most likely, uh, the idea of the abode of the dead or a place of judgment, right? A place of judgment where he would send them to be judged once and for all. They're afraid of this. They know it's coming. They they. they they, they're afraid Jesus is going to do that to them at this moment. They beg him to throw them into the pigs. Look at what verse 32 says. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. And he gave them, what does it say right there? Take your little pen. Underline that little word there. Jesus gave them permission. All right, go to the swine. Go eat some bacon. Go ruin yourselves on bacon. Whoa, I know, I know, it's a little scary. So verse 33, he says, When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. I've seen the south uh, or southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, it has steep cliffs that go right into the water all along a certain portion of the Sea of Galilee. 
Jesus sends the demons into the pigs, and the demons immediately destroy the pigs. Now, we know this is not Jewish territory because there are herds of pigs. <laughs> Jewish people don't. They, he, Jesus has left Jewish territory, and now he's going into Gentile territory. This is where people do not know anything really about who Jesus is or um, maybe, maybe the history of God's people, and so he's, 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 he's going into this new territory, and, and now these demons have destroyed these pigs, and so verse 34 says, when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. So people or other people are watching it. All the pigs have, have gone. The workers have run into town, and they're like telling the whole story about the crazy naked man who Jesus cast the demons out of and into the pigs. And, and so then what, they, what verse 35 says, and the people went out to see what had happened. I mean, there wasn't a lot going on in these towns. Let's be real. And so when something like this happened, it, was, it wasn't like they were, you know, busy going to movies or, you know, doing all kinds of other entertaining things. When they heard something this entertaining, they were going to go out and see it. So they go out and it says, um, the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. What? Okay, this, this doesn't make sense to me. And they were afraid. A naked, screaming, freakishly strong man is fine. It's cool. Yeah, that's, he's part of our town. But if he's in his right mind and sitting somewhere, that freaks us out. <laughs> what does that mean? What is that? Is their value system so screwed up? that this is what scares them? Verse 36 says, those, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured, and then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them. <laughs> Please leave, you're making us nervous. Ask Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So, this is interesting, he got in the boat and left. It is kind of sad, isn't it? Here's Jesus, the miracle worker, the one who has the solution to every problem they're facing, and they can't see it. Why can't they see it? Are they blinded? Are they blinded by their own sinful behavior? Maybe, maybe, they're, maybe they're just blinded by their culture that puts more value in the economic stability that comes from pigs than from the deliverance of a tormented soul. I wonder if we could identify with those people. I wonder if our concern about economic stability would trump so many other things. I wonder, if, I wonder if we would, might be guilty from time to time of being so consumed with kind of what we're doing and what's going on around us and our, our needs and the things we're taking care of that actually we can't see that Jesus is right there ready to deliver both us and the people that we know from all the torment that's happening in their lives. We're so consumed 
These people were like that. They were, they were consumed with something other than, than the freedom, the, the amazing miracle of this man. Verse 38 says, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go, begged, uh, begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. Take your pen and underline that line. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. This man has been delivered, and he wants to go with Jesus. Man, Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to him. He wants to travel with Jesus in this merry band of people who are sharing good news and the kingdom of God and the power of God. He wants to be with them. And Jesus says, no, that's, that's not the plan for you. I want you to go home and I want you to stay here because what's going on here needs your story. What's going on in this community needs your input. They need to hear your testimony. They need to hear your story because it is an incredible story. So he says, return home and tell how much God has done for you. Notice what Luke says. He, he kind of turns the words a little bit here. He turns the words, and instead of repeating it, he says, so the man went away and told all over town how much, who? Jesus had done for him. How much Jesus had done for him. Luke, when he's writing it, he describes Jesus saying, tell how much God has done. Whatever, whatever God is doing, Jesus is there. Whatever Jesus is doing, that's God at work in people's lives. And so he tells them to go, he tells them to stay here and go do this. They get back in the boat and they go across, back across the sea. I want to think about the implications of this story for our lives. So I just want to give you three ideas and then we'll go. Three ideas. Number one, here's the thing. We live in two worlds. We live, the spiritual world is real, but the physical world is real too. There's a way of thinking out there that says, hey, the spiritual world is really the real world, and all this physical stuff is just not real. Actually, that's not true. That's not the way God sees the physical and spiritual world. He sees them as both valuable and both important. He created the world, you know. He created the world and said that it was good. He's going to come back. Jesus is going to come back one day, and he will bring in a new heaven and new earth right? A new heaven and new earth. He's going to renew the heavens and the earth, the ones that already exist. He's going to renew them. And so it's really important that we understand we live in two worlds, and it's crazy. We don't see in American culture a lot of people uh, screaming, living among the tombs uh, with, <laughs> with um, you know, naked running at us and screaming, don't, don't come near us. <laughs> don't torture us. We don't, we don't I don't know, do you have any of that? It's, I'm not talking about marriage counseling. I'm just, talking about, I'm just talking about generally in your life. We don't see this kind of um, exposure of the spiritual world in our Western culture. And I think one of the reasons for that is because uh, we are intellectualized, people either don't believe it's true or if they do believe it's true, they're highly confused about how it works. And there's a, there, is a, there is a unique spiritual dynamic that goes on around us, and 
in our physical world, we have to figure out how this works as Christians. If you turn over to your Bibles in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Ephesians 6, verse 10, I want to just read this to you. Uh, for some of you, this will be familiar, but let's just, let's just spend a moment here on Ephesians 6, 10. It says, finally, um, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, verse 10 says. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a war going on here, and it's important for you to see that that the war is not with people. One of the reasons that Christians have such a bad reputation in our culture is because they have misunderstood this in a practical way. They end up fighting with people instead of fighting on their knees. They end up fighting with people instead of engaging a spiritual dynamic in their prayer life and in their, in their living and in their Bible reading. And, and so they, they end up making people feel bad about themselves. They end up heaping guilt on others. They, they end up calling people names. You know, the worst, the worst part of this group of people are the Westboro Baptist people who travel around to funerals and, and put up horrible signs that violate people's dignity, and it's, it's just awful. These people have missed it. There is a spiritual war going on, but it is not with people. It is with something that's going on behind the scenes in this other world that we are part of. And, and spirit, this is the crazy thing. Here's, here's why it gets confusing. Because spiritual wickedness is often demonstrated through people. This guy is demonstrating spiritual wickedness by, by his strength is freakish. He's pulling, he's pulling his chains off of himself. Nobody can capture him. He's running around screaming and, and he's tormented. <laughs> I feel like sometimes we, we feel like this is what happens to our bosses, you know? <laughs> like, like they're so tormented and they're so mean and they're so cruel and they're so awful and they, they do things to us and they say things to us and we're like, what is wrong with him? He's such an idiot. And we just, we say, start saying bad things about him. We mistreat them and we, listen, this is not how the spiritual world must function in your life and it is not how you should function in, this, in the physical world. What Jesus is trying to say is that he's in charge. He's in charge of the spiritual world And he will be in charge once again of the physical world. He will be. Some say he already is, but it, it's, it's easy to see by looking at the morning paper that the devil is on the loose. And final authority has not been taken, right? He, he, has, he has, in a sense, won the war, but he has not taken his final authority. And we're here in the ground war taking territory. That's what, and when I say taking territory, I don't mean dominating people. I don't mean being cruel to people. I don't mean being, forcing people to do things they don't want to do. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about, I'm talking about living our lives in a way that recognizes the spiritual realm we live in and giving ourselves to prayer and to Bible reading and to obedience 
to the scriptures so that the spiritual battles can be won. Now, here's the thing. The spiritual battles are connected to the physical battles. So if your boss is being mean to you, what should you do? You pray for him. What? He's such an idiot. I don't want to pray for him. No, you pray for him. You ask God to meet him. What, what, what do you... Okay, so after you pray for him, what happens to you? Could be a number of things. Could be that God convicts you of your own misbehaviors in working for him. I hate it when that happens. It could be that... Uh, it could be that... God gives you the power and the strength to love him in spite of his activities toward you. It could be that as you pray, you're not going to feel ever like treating him nicely. You may never feel that way, but you do it out of obedience. And then as you obey, guess what happens? Your character begins to be built. You, you, you begin to develop a stronger character of obedience and maturity. And who is to say that as you develop a strong character of obedience, of, of treating people who mistreat you well, if you, you, you treat them well, who's to say that God may not enter into that relationship and at some moment of crisis or a meaningful uh, dialogue between you and your boss that you actually get to share the story of Jesus and your illustration of your life, the fact that you've treated him well, the fact that you've, you've responded to mistreatment in a way that demonstrates Christ's love, there's something that happens, an opportunity presents itself, and suddenly he's responding to the spiritual work of Christ, to the Holy Spirit who's chasing after him. There's so much here where I want to cover, but it's not going to happen today. Here's what I want you to see at the end of the story. Jesus releases this guy from torment. And, and then he establishes a really amazing beachhead of God's kingdom and activity. Turn in your Bibles to Mark 5.20. This is the other story. This is the, the same story in Mark. The same story in Mark 5.20 of this event. The parallel story is what they call it. Five twenty says, well, let's read 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis. Remember I mentioned that? The 10 cities, the 10 towns? How much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, what, why did Jesus get in the boat and leave? Because all the townspeople came out and said, get out of here. We don't want you here. They were blinded. They were confused. Look at over at uh, chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Mark describes a couple of things differently than Luke. And so Mark describes this in 731. Verse 31, all right, if you're there, it says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon. 
down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged him. Wait, wait, what did they do to him? Wait, wait, wait. They begged him to place his hands on the man. Do you see what happened? So in chapter 5, here they are, and they want him to leave. Jesus makes the guy stay. Two chapters later, he's coming back around to the Decapolis, to the ten cities, and there's something has been established. Some story has been circulated. Something has happened to, to create a different response to Jesus. They begged him. Jesus, come here. We've got this guy who needs what you gave that tormented guy. <laughs> come, and, come and pray for him. Come and, come and take care of him. Look, what you need to see here, I'll give you the three points, and then you can take them home and study them yourself. Ready? The first one is we live in two worlds. The second one is Jesus has authority over demons, and so do you. <laughs> That's the one you want to hear about, right? Oh, so how does that work? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't, I'm not sure if I have authority over demons or not. Look, 1 John 4, 4, you know what it says? It says that the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. That's what 1 John 4, 4 says. Jesus lives in you by the Holy Spirit, which means you have the authority that Jesus has. Now, we could talk a long time about what diminishes that authority. Your lack of obedience diminishes that authority sometimes. It gives, you, it gives you a lack of confidence. You've been disobedient, and now you don't have confidence that Jesus is actually for you. When in reality, he's totally for you. He's completely for you. He wants to deal with your sinfulness, and he wants to deal with your disobedience. You'll just surrender to him and repent and start walking the other direction. He'll be right there. But, but something sin has a really bad effect on our spiritual authority. Jesus wants to give you everything he has. And so you can cast demons out of people just like Jesus did. And it's like it's, the problem is we just don't get to see them as demonstrative as this guy. Sometimes you have to do it in your prayer closet, praying over your tormented boss. And when you do that, something happens to you. When you obey the scriptures, when you, when you know the scriptures. Listen, do you, if you don't read the scriptures often, if you just come to Sunday morning and sit here in these seats and hear me talk, and that's the, that's the amount of spiritual input you get, guess what? You're not going to have the kind of authority or confidence that Jesus is trying to give you. Because you don't know what the scripture says. You can't pull the scripture, 1 John 4, 4, out of the air because it's been circulating in you. You've been meditating on it and you're thinking, I have, I have authority over this. I'm going to pray that my boss will either change or get fired himself. <laughs> we wouldn't want to pray for him to get fired. Yes, some bosses we would, yeah. 
Some people, we would want them to move on. Some people, but we don't, it's not a manipulation of people. It's a surrender to the spiritual battle that's going on, and it's engaging in that spiritual battle, and it's saying to Jesus, Jesus, have your way, have your will. Let your will be done here in this office complex. And if you want the gospel to, co- to, to get into this guy's life, and I'm the, the, the conduit for that, then let that happen. Give me opportunity. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, Give me authority so I can speak into his life. What am I saying? Am I saying you go show up on Monday morning after you've had a great sermon at church? And you go up to him and you start saying, who are you? (laughs) I think your name is Legion. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is engage in the spiritual battle and then let Jesus begin to lead you. Let Jesus begin to direct your steps. Notice Jesus directs the steps of this man that has been tormented. He directs him. He tells him what to do. Listen, all these other guys get to follow Jesus. All these ladies who've been delivered, this guy wants to be part of that. But Jesus says, no, that's not for you. I got another plan for you, and it is to create a beachhead right here. I want you to tell your story, and I want it to start traveling. I want people to be shocked when they see you. I used to know you. What happened to you? And he tells the story, the third, the third point of the message, really, and then we'll just finish is, some are called to travel, all of us are called to go. Some are called to travel, all of us are called to go. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we think that doing ministry means what I'm doing now. It's not true. Listen, I have the same responsibilities as you according to the scriptures. It's just that I have a role to play in equipping and pastoring and releasing people to do what God's already put in them. Each of you have a gift. Each of you have something that God wants to give you. He wants to flow through you. He wants his spiritual authority to flow through your life. He wants it to rest upon you so that you can be his conduit, his his mouthpiece, his instrument the tool that he can use to share the message of the kingdom of God. He wants that to happen to every one of you. Church is not a place where you come on the weekend and get charged up so you can go back to the grind of every day and just try to make it to next week. If that's what we're doing here, we're going to lose. I want you to see that some people are, 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 are going to do ministry in a unique way, and, and I don't want you to picture ministry as something where you have to be on a church staff, or you have to be involved in preaching, or singing, or all these, that's, this, those are just giftedness, gifted, get the giftedness of people, it's just gifts that people have in doing ministry. We're all called to go and to share the message of the kingdom, to tell our story, and to see a kingdom beachhead established wherever we are. In your workplace, for some of you, it's your marriage. For some of you, you're married to a person who doesn't believe. It's very difficult. I understand. Treat them with dignity. Treat them with respect. Love them. Ask God to fill you with his power and strength and authority so that you can serve them, even in the face of of some mistreatment. This is what you're called to. This is what you and I are asked to do. When you think about your life, 
I want you to think about what God is doing to establish his kingdom wherever you are. In your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, with your kids, he's sending us. Look, he's sending us with spiritual authority, with power, with a story. And I want you to see yourself like this guy, that you have the power and the strength, the wisdom, the confidence to see other people released, delivered. Close your eyes, bow your heads, let's pray. Father, we, we want to understand how your kingdom works in us and how it works behind the scenes. We want to understand the spiritual weapons you've given us like the power of your word, the power of your name, the understanding of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and speaks through us. We want to learn how all that works. Would you teach us? Would you give one chapel, the people who call themselves one chapel, would you give us the kind of grace and authority and wisdom that we need to influence our culture? Would you teach us to establish a place wherever we are where your kingdom is going to begin to grow. And at first it might be difficult, at first it might be very challenging, but that's your plan and your purpose. Would you help us to see ourselves like this tormented man whose life was changed and who stayed in his home, in, his, in the place where everyone knew him. And all Jesus asked him to do was to, to be consistent in his healing. He, all Jesus asked him to do was to tell this story and to continue the miracle of being delivered. Would you help every one of us to continue the miracle of our lives being delivered from sin? Would you help each of us to continue the process and the journey? Help us to display this story, the story of your deliverance and your, your willingness to give us a new life. Help us to share this new life with those who are dying, who are scared who are fearful, who may look at us and say, we, we don't want your kind here. They may resist us at first, but the story, will, the story will cut through. The story of your deliverance, the power that you have, the authority that you give us will begin to cut through their fear. The consistency of a life well lived, the consistency of a life that is laid down and, and, and serving others. Lord, would you use us to do this, to fight the spiritual battle on our knees, to fight the spiritual battle by serving people in need, to fight the spiritual battle by praying for those who are persecuting us, to fight the spiritual battle by sharing our lives with those who maybe so wounded, so hurt that they, they can hardly accept what we have to say. Give us courage, Lord. Give us courage, we pray. In Jesus' name. I want to pray for you if you're realizing that God 
is speaking to you and you're you're realizing, I, I need to come to Jesus because my life is a mess. I'm, I'm much more like the tormented guy while he was tormented than the guy who was free. I'm, my life is being lived in, a, in darkness. I, I feel like I'm walking among the tombs. I feel like death has overtaken me and I, I need to be delivered. I need to be renewed. I, I, I need the life that only Jesus can provide. Some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, I, I'm blinded by my own concerns and my own anxieties about life and economics and what's going on in my household and what's going on in my work. I'm totally blinded and I don't even see the kingdom of God working around me. And you need to be delivered from that. If that's you, if that describes you in any way, shape, or form, just with your eyes, everybody's eyes closed, everybody's head bowed, you want to say, Jesus, come and deliver me. Come and heal me. I need you. I need the salvation that only you can bring. And whether it's the first time you've ever done this or you've done it many, many times, it doesn't, that doesn't really matter. I want you to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit right now, right here. If you want me to pray for you right now, and you say, Jesus, deliver me, then just shoot your hand up in the air right now. Jesus, deliver me. Yep, all over the auditorium. Just shoot it up in the air and say, yeah, Jesus, deliver me from my blindness. Deliver me from the way I'm living my life. Deliver me from feeling like I'm just dead and just consumed by death and, and, and struggle and debt. And I just need you. I need your life. I need your strength. I need your deliverance in my life. Yeah, just hold that hand up there. Just say, yes, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Come on, all of us across the auditorium, I want all of us to just lift our hand up to, the, to heaven and say, say these words with me. Come on, all over the congregation, just repeat these, this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who has all authority in heaven and earth. Thank you for the gift of your Son. Forgiveness, healing, peace, strength, Wisdom, grace. Give me faith, Jesus. Help me to live for you. Forgive me of my sins, my foolishness, my bad behaviors. Forgive me, Lord. I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you. I choose to follow you. Deliver me from myself and from my sins. Thank you, Jesus. Well, just right where we are, just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We receive from you now. We receive deliverance. We receive the renewed grace that only you can bring. We receive healing. We receive a new way of living, a new way of looking at the world. We receive new life now. We receive it. We receive it in Jesus' name.